last three weeks, we, we began with Samuel, the prophet kind of slash judge kind of priest who had served as Israel's leader uh, until, um, until the, I, I just used the term, they impeached him uh, they, and, and they voted to appoint their own, their own king. And this offense was, was felt by Samuel, but even more by the heart of the father who had created this unique people that God himself would continue to have spiritual leaders that he would speak to, and God himself wanted to be the king and leader of his people. He created this unique society of the people of God. But the people wanted to be like all the other nations of the world, which is complex, you know, uh, confusing at times. And I wonder if, uh, I had this thought, it's not in my notes, and I didn't mention it last service, but I wonder, I wonder if it wasn't because of their wayward heart, sometimes uh, people no longer want the God of their mom and dad because they want to do things that they know are contradictory to the Word of God. You know what I mean? When you want to walk in a way in your own flesh, in your own sinfulness, maybe you say, you know what? We don't want a spiritual leader like that. We don't want to hear from God right now. We want our, we want our own kind of life, I wonder. Interesting. But they badgered, and, which led the Father to give them what they asked for, even though it would be the source of pain for generations for them. And continue to be a mess until God's Son comes in human form to be the final King of Israel and the King of all nations, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now the kingdom of God can be united in Christ. I say can be because it's still a hope. Like, you know, there are signs at times like the church, we are united, and then there are signs that uh, we're kind of commercial and competitive, like we speak negative about other churches and other gatherings and people and stuff, like, you know, and, it, and until, until we can, like, but there is hope that the kingdom of God can be united. We have a king who reigns above the presidents, supreme chancellors, emperors, and viceroys around the globe. We have one king. Saul has been rejected. Samuel is now dejected, and the Lord has selected David. So that's a little Southern, Southern Baptist outline for you there. That's Saul rejected, Samuel dejected, and now the Lord has selected. Okay. But the Lord said to Samuel... How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. So this is pretty serious. He's bringing up like, I can't go do that. I cannot go and anoint another king while I'm serving as an advisor, spiritual advisor to the king now. I can't do that. If he hears about it, I'll, I'll be killed myself. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, the Lord said, don't tell him what you're up to. You don't have to tell him. Just go, go and do this. Invite Jesse to sacrifice and 
I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And it's interesting that Samuel pauses to say, I can't do that. I'm going to die. And God's response is, like, he doesn't recognize the, his statement even, just says, here's what you're going to do. Keeps talking. Samuel knows the pressures of leadership. He knows uh, what others will say when word gets around, especially words like anointing a new king. And the narrator's letting us as the readers in on the conversation. But you'll notice as you read through the next chapters and through this transition that, that you as the reader... And the narrator tells us that a new king is going to be anointed, but Samuel never says anything out loud that would indicate a public announcement that is kept in secrecy. As a matter of fact, his arrival when he comes into the city to anoint David creates quite uh, an an anxious moment. Uh, Like when he shows up, people are alarmed, like, what's going on? This is the guy who has rebuked the king of Israel. Uh, whole, is there sin in our village? And, and everybody's probably thinking like, uh-oh, you know, like they know what they've done in their own lives, and uh, here comes the holy man, and, and there's a tension that's created. They say, Samuel, uh, Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him and asked uh, is everything okay? You know? You ever get those calls where someone says, hey, can we have coffee? We need to talk. You go like, we need to talk? Is everything okay? Or if like one of the CEOs shows up down on the production floor or if, if the, the, pre- the owner of the restaurant shows up at the restaurant and he's not there very often, you know, the manager wants to know, like, and the crew, they're all buzzing about it. They want to know, like, is everything okay? Is someone in trouble? Or if HR shows up, if HR shows up, people get, uh, you know, uh-oh, what, did I do something? If you get called into a meeting with HR, how many know that's going to that's gonna make you nervous right away? You want to know, is everything okay? Or if the pastor calls you into his office, dun, 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 you're like, not really. But, usually, but there are those times, right, when we just whisper to them, like, is everything okay? Like, you want to know, like, this, this could be bad. Is everything okay? So obviously, it's a big deal if this prophet, the man of God, who has shown to God miraculously speaks through him, he's the former leader of the nation himself, he hears from God, he, he reveals mysteries, he predicts the future, it comes true, and he's had the gall to rebuke the king of Israel for his behavior in front of everyone. And now he shows up in your village. Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come sacrifice with me. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice. But he's concealing why he is there and what his mission is. We all know that what would happen if the announcement was made, that there would be a big commotion and chaos to follow. And when they arrived... Samuel saw Eliav, 
and thought, surely the Lord anointed stands here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Avinadab, and he passed in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen him either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, and Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass by in quite a beauty contest before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Being handsome does not disqualify you for God's purposes. And all the men said, wait, all the handsome men said, I didn't hear anybody say it. It's not a negative. But what is clearly being noted here is that there is a heart of David, a heart for God that exudes out of him. And as far as the one who's qualified for something special, David didn't seem to fit the bill here up to this point. He was overlooked by seemingly seven you know, better candidates that, that were older, more mature, all of them strikingly good-looking, and, and, and some of them tall and good-looking, and, but no one had even thought to bring David before them. He was an unlikely afterthought. All his brothers seemed like more likely fit for the duty that God might have, and each one stood before the prophet. But the prophet knew, the Lord said, it's coming from this family. But none of these guys are the one. Not this one, not that one, over and over until there were no more candidates. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, he answered. He's tending the sheep. Send for him. We're not sitting down until he arrives. So they all stand around waiting for someone to fetch David from among the sheep. Hopefully it was a field nearby, so there wasn't too long of awkward silence uh, in those conversations. But verse 12 says, so he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from the day from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel then went to Ramah. The eyes of the Lord spots things humans miss. David doesn't stack up as good of candidates as his older, more mature, good-looking brothers. Nor did Jesus stack up. Isaiah prophesied of it, said, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. On the outside, when Jesus arrives, there were far better candidates up in the gold-laden 
temple of the Lord and up in the holy city, sitting on their thrones of majesty. I'm sure the high priest with all of his garb and tremendous ornaments and prestige and the, the, the office and the seat and the throne on which he sat. I'm sure he seemed like a way better candidate than a blue-collar carpenter's son raised on the lower east side of Nazareth. I don't know what side of town he came from, but case in point, when the people had a choice between Jesus or Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the multitude cried, give us Barabbas. David had done some good things. He had a fine reputation, talented musician, and from a solid family. But no one imagined that God was looking deep into his heart and saw something that was missing in others. Will you stand with me? It's what's on the inside that placed him in a seat of honor. It's what Paul said made the women of old beautiful. The presence and the purity of a heart for God. Lord, you see our hearts today. You see deep within us. You see the conflict. You see the, for some, the anxiety, for some, the, the stress and the strain of life. And we are here today to bring you honor and glory and to, with one voice, uh, uh, praise your name together as your body. Would you continue to speak through us? Would you continue to anoint the words of the holy uh, script and uh, to speak into our lives, to, to challenge us, to inspire us, to encourage us. Lord, we know you're working mysteriously in unique ways that are, are beyond our own, each of our individual understandings. But we trust you, Lord, that with this day you'll receive honor and praise and glory in Jesus' name. So David's anointed and goes back to tending his sheep. It would be great to listen in on what that prayer was that Samuel prayed over him. How detailed was it? How vague was it? What did he say? But it does say, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, those are the words the NIV chose. I'll address that in a moment. But Saul's attendants said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre or the harp. He'll play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you'll feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well, bring him to me. One of his servants said, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man, a warrior, speaks well, fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Interesting chronology, interesting description of David, because we often see him in chapter 17 facing Goliath as the littlest, puny little, you know, kid, you know, barely able, 
But uh, anyway, talk about that next week. But the king calls him to serve him. And it wouldn't take much to connect A, Samuel coming anointing you, praying over you, and B, getting called to serve in the courtyards of the king. That he was a talented musician, songwriter, and that he would play and sing, and when the king is feeling somber or depressed or tortured, how many have a station they go to when they're feeling a little low? Where, where, where you at? You got a station you tune to, you like some oldies, some softies kind of thing, sometimes you're in that mood, sometimes you're in that rock 96.5, wait, not 96.5, that's like one step from an elevator, you know, okay. But I'm sure there's one out there. I just don't know them because I'm so pure. But use the talents that the Lord has given you musically to bring some relief to this somber, maybe depressed, maybe oppressed, but certainly a tortured soul, Saul. There's speculation about the terminology of why the uh, interpreters of the of the original language in the NIV, why they, why they chose evil spirit here. Uh, some, some, most translations say injurious spirit. It's a little footnote at the bottom. Uh, but we do know that the, there was a departing of the anointing of God, that a special uh, touch of God was upon him. And with his past disobedience and then this favor of God being removed from you, I, I can see that as being uh, torturous on a man emotionally. But to psychoanalyze Saul's mindset would prove fruitless and impossible task. Nevertheless, the narrator makes it clear that there is a transference of anointing has happened and that Saul is miserable now and David is glowing. Saul sent his messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded the bread, skin of wine, young goat, sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. And then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. And whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. David plays some kind of stringed instrument. Um, I like to think I like I like to think of it something cooler than a, you know, something a little more manly, you know. But uh, that's just me. But David plays, and the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And at times, he's, well, I mean, he's, he's known now as a prolific songwriter. And in his early years, he had a lot of things to write about. Throughout his life, he had a lot of times where he was surrounded by, you know, evil villages of, you know, enemies of the Lord all around him. And then he's a part of this people of God who've had a history of Israel. Even today, they're this tiny speck on a map and surrounded by people who want them exterminated, right? They're, they're still in that way. So you're surrounded by the, all these enemies as the people of God. And then in that little village, in that little spot, the, 
supreme dictator and leader and, and commander and, and king supreme in that little village, he, he wants you dead. He's jealous of you. He's thrown spears at you, we'll see in the coming chapters. And, and uh, David has found himself over and over in, in, in the crucible of conflict. King Saul wants him dead and the enemies of Israel throughout the region. Sometimes he was on the run. And maybe that was one of his first songs he wrote. Band on the run. I don't know what psalm that is. I know who the psalmist, the psalmist McCartney or something. But he established himself as a person with a heart for God. And out of that conflict, out of that disappointment, sometimes out of that failure came some tremendous songs that reveal his heart for God. Conflict, disappointment, and failure. Turn to any country western station. It'll be the theme. Some of the most relatable songs have been birthed out of difficulty that inspire the artists, and a lot of people can connect with it. I mean, think of some of the songs that, you know, you can relate to. Lyrics like, Take this job and shove it. <laughs> who, who sang that song a time or two? Where are you at? Put your hand up. Put your hand up, okay? All the pastors around Falls Church are putting their hand up. Or the eerie lines of the theme song of MASH. Do, 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 do. It's kind of a cr crazy, eerie song of suicide is painless. It brings on many changes, to say the least. Or the scary real-life declaration of a young man trapped and living in an Amish paradise. Artist creativity often spurs, you know, to, to new heights. When, when they're in these tough, difficult things that they're grappling with, they, the, out of them often comes uh, inspiring words, things people can relate to. Not always. But sometimes when we find out something about a certain song, we, we hear the words or we hear the backstory of what produced the words. Sometimes the backstory kind of inspires us to go, oh, that's what that song's about and brings a, a new appreciation. And then the more you listen to the song and you appreciate things about it, suddenly you go, wow, I really, I really like that song. And it's out of one of these dynamic places that one of David's big hits is written, Psalm 18. The director of music of David, the servant of the Lord. He sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He, he sang, verse 1, I love you, Lord, my strength. Verse 2, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Verse 3, I called to the Lord. And I've been saved from my enemies. Verse 4, the, the, the cords of death entangled me. The, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The grave coiled around me and snares of death confronted me. Verse 6, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. He reached down from on high and took hold of me and drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. 
They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. David's found himself surrounded by those who want him exterminated. Those are the first verses of one of his hit signal, singles, Psalm 18. And verse 21. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. David says, I've I've done my best to be faithful and walk upright. And guess what? He says, God is the same way. Verse 25. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. And to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. And here's my thought. It's almost as if God is as dynamic or as treacherous as you allow him to be. He says, to the faithful, God appears faithful. To the blameless, God appears blameless. To the pure, he appears pure. And to the devious, God appears really harsh. What if folks are getting what they expect from God? That the harsh find a harsh and cruel Father in heaven. That the fools of this life continue to be fool and confounded by God's nature. That the self-absorbed find God absorbed in His own glory. That the depressed can't see the light or the joy of the Lord. That the materialistic can't understand why God has everything and won't give it to them. It makes sense to me that an unpredictable person might view God as random and unknowable. But David has a very high and lofty opinion of who God is. He he ends the psalm, as for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. When I hear words like that, I think to myself, David, I bet he found that the Lord was perfect. I bet he found that his God was flawless. I bet he found that the Lord was his shield, his refuge, his rock, and his security. Will you stand with me? Maybe in some ways, just like we project, if we have a negative view of our Father on earth, sometimes we project that negativity to a Father God in heaven. And Maybe our expectations and what we see 
what we see in God, what we speak out towards God, maybe it, maybe it reveals more about our heart than his. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are the one who sees beyond all the circumstances and you see our very deep private places. And out of them and out of life sometimes exudes disbelief, fear, worry, anxiety, anger. Because we know you could fix our circumstances to the way we want them in a moment, and yet it seems like you do nothing. Forgive us, Lord, when we limit you by our limitations. Forgive us, Lord, when we view you through our weakness and our negativity and our cynicism. And God, would you renew within us a a fresh and dynamic uh, view of who you are. Reveal your holy magnitude to us, your majesty and your power to us, your purity, your righteousness, your holiness. That we can honor you in a dynamic way through the songs of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.cc.